Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Church is a, is a good place to, conf- I won't say sins, but to confess the moment you weren't at your best. How's that sound? Let's me off the hook a little bit. Years ago, this was pre-pandemic, we had a birthday celebration for somebody in our family. And we said, where do you, where do you want to go eat? And they mentioned a certain restaurant that I will remain nameless so as not to get sued at the end of this service. Okay, you with me? So they said a certain eating establishment here in Northwest Ohio. It was on it. Their birthday was on a Wednesday, and we had Wednesday night services. So we had to go. We had kind of a tight time frame to, to eat and then get back for church. And we went to this restaurant, and we sat down. And right away, I was like, I'm kind of a little bit of a stickler for customer service. And I was just like, this customer service isn't that great. And then we ordered, and then we waited, and, and we waited, and we waited. Have you ever had one of those experiences? We waited a long time. And I try not to complain, but I was like, I'm watching the clock. It's supposed to be a birthday celebration. It was all these things. And I, let's just say I had, I had non-pastoral thoughts. Are you with me? Is that all right? And when I expressed those non-pastoral thoughts, the worst part was they didn't seem to think it was weird that we had waited over an hour for our food. I mean, it was, just, it was just one of those really, really bad experiences. And we walked out, and I said to Rhonda, I will never go back to that place again. The way I was treated, the quality of the service, the food that they gave us, the experience I had, I'm telling you, I am never I think I actually told the lady, didn't I? Praise God. And, and then I invited him to a whole different church. I said, that's not true, but yeah, it should have. I said, I am never going back to that place again. You ever had an experience like that? If that's where those people are, if that's the way I'm going to be treated, I am never going there again. And that's the way a lot of people feel about the church. They, they look at who they think are Christians and say, that's the way they are? That's the way the church is? That's how they're going to treat me? No thanks. I'm out. If that's what those people are like, I don't have to go there. I'm never going there. Or I'm never going back there again. Jesus actually has a name for what happens in those moments. Because typically, when people have feelings that are that deep, it's because they've interacted with people who have somehow so affected them by the way they were treated, by the way that they lived, by the things that they saw, that it pushed them away. Jesus uses a word in the Gospels, and we'll see it here as we look at this today. It's the word hypocrites. You ever heard that word? (laughs) The fact that sometimes people's actions can repel other people is not new to the 21st century. It's not new to the modern day church. I don't think it's I don't think it's unique to the church at all. Anytime you have a religious group, anytime you have an organizational structure, because you, you see it not just in churches or religion, you see it in politics, you see it in business, where people say one thing or live another way or affect you in a certain way, Jesus uses the word hypocrites, and he addresses this. In fact, it's a major part of what he's saying to us in Matthew chapter 6. Look at how he starts the chapter. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. As we unpack this today, we're going to see Jesus use the word to describe the people he's talking about here. 
as hypocrites. In, in the first century, Jewish life, that was kind of narrowed down to some specific groups that he's talking about. Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, teachers of the law. You'll see those different names. When we get to Matthew 23, he puts them on full blast. We'll see that when we get there here. But he's wanting to show us something today as he talks about hypocrites. Teaching about hypocrites, is that relevant today? You better believe it is. Because when I say hypocrites, some of you might know some. When I say hypocrites, some of you might be affected by some. You called yourself out, not me. Nope, I ain't going there. <laughs> but here's what happens is hypocrites sometimes can affect us. Leaves a bad taste in our mouth. And I know a lot of people who have had relationships with Christians, with churches, who've said, no thanks, I ain't going back there. And here's the truth, just because Jesus' followers failed, it does not mean that Jesus failed. Isn't that true? Just because his followers may have failed, he has not failed. And I wanna stress that today, because for a lot of us, this whole subject can push us away. Now look, some of you, are, are here every Sunday. You're, you're faithful. You love the Lord. I talk about hypocrisy. I talk about maybe how you've been affected by other people. And the reality is maybe this isn't very relevant for you in your life right now. But I don't know your story. Like, I don't know what you've experienced or what things you hold from your past or memories or thoughts from experiences you've had. Even more, not just in this room or an auditorium too, but on the other end of that camera, there's, there's thousands of people whose faces we've never seen and I've never had the privilege to meet who have stories that unfortunately have as a starring character somebody who Jesus might have called a hypocrite. Do you, do you, remember, do you remember why Jesus even was teaching this? We're, we're in a study of the gospel of Matthew. And if, if you zoom in a little bit more, we've been going through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus' main focus, the whole thing he's trying to do here is he's trying to say, my kingdom has come, and in my kingdom, we do things differently. Do you remember when we flipped the script? Do you remember that? Where Jesus, Jesus said, hey, you used to do it this way, but in my kingdom, we're gonna do it this way. Here's, here's how you're blessed. Here's how you live. Here's how you pray. Like he's been teaching us those things. And part of what he's saying is in my kingdom, things are going to be different. And he's highlighting this and he's pointing this out. And he's writing this to people in the first century who have in many ways lost trust in their leadership. They've been disappointed by spiritual frauds. They feel more pressure to measure up than they do to know God. And for many of them, their whole idea of faith has been affected by hypocrites. So one of the things that Jesus is trying to teach, and then the Lord's Prayer that we've been studying is sandwiched right in the middle of this. But from verse one to verse 18 of Matthew chapter six, here's what Jesus is trying to teach. If I had to title this sermon, it would be don't let the hypocrites get you down. Look, he says, I know this is real, but don't let the hypocrites be the things that affect your life. We're gonna look at some lessons. I think they're as real today as they were 2,000 years ago when Jesus said them. Three things that we wanna pull out of these verses that we're gonna look at today from Matthew chapter six. Three things about how not to let the hypocrites get us down. Here's the first one. Number one, don't let the hypocrites show you how to love God. Don't let the hypocrites show you how to love God. 
don't let these, these folks Jesus is gonna call hypocrites define for you what religion looks like, what your love for God looks like, how you view church or how you view a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is gonna give us three examples. He's gonna talk about our giving, he's gonna talk about our praying, and he's gonna talk about our fasting. And he doesn't just pull these out of the air. Those three things, giving, praying, and fasting, were key hallmarks of a Jewish religious life, a major expression of their faith. And so we'll jump in and look at each one. First, here's what he says about giving. Matthew chapter six, verse two. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, Jesus, they're not sure. He may have been exaggerating here. We don't know that the Pharisees came in, that the hypocrites came in with trumpets, but here's what we know. They would have liked to. They would have loved for everybody to have seen what they did. Here's the first thing we see. Hypocrites give for attention. At the heart of what they're doing is they give for attention. I have a friend who, when you start to brag about yourself and kind of boast about the things you've done, Instead of saying hallelujah, like you're praising God, my friend will look at you and go, hallelujah, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> right now you seem to be praising not God, but yourself. And when the hypocrites would come in to give, they would kind of say, hallelujah, me. Look at what I'm doing. I'm giving for attention. And Jesus says that's not the way that it's supposed to be. At the very heart is their selfishness. Have, have you ever been to like a conference or a convention, or gotten some kind of like sales pitch or goodie bag where, where somebody gives you some kind of gift that has their logo or their marketing all over it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you get a t-shirt or you get a, you get a pen or you get a nice you know, mug and, and it's got their name all over it. I don't wanna burst your bubble, but here's the deal. They did not give that to you because they liked you. They didn't think you needed a t-shirt. They didn't think you needed a new mug. Purely selfish. The whole reason they gave you that nice insulated mug is so that when you held it, you would be reminded of their branding and you would show it to everyone else. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them. And it's genius marketing, is it not? Like, is it good marketing, yes or no? Yes, it's really good marketing. That's great marketing. That's poor spirituality. If the things you do to serve God are so you can brand yourself, so you can show yourself, so you can market yourself. Jesus says that's not spirituality, that's just selfishness. Here's what he says instead, Matthew chapter six, verse three. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's where that phrase comes from. Cool picture, isn't it? Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Hypocrites, Jesus says, give for attention. Followers of Jesus give for God's glory. Behind what they do is so that their God can be glorified. Have you ever heard the phrase humble brag? Have you ever heard that phrase before? Humble brag? It's, it's when you like say something where, where you're trying to either complain or you're trying to maybe appear humble, but what you're actually doing is bragging. So let's say, Travis, you and I have, have we're, we're gonna grab breakfast, right? Let's say that. And I have to call you and I go, oh, hey man, I'm not gonna be able to make it. I've just, oh, I've just been so busy. And I have to, I'm sorry, I have to go pick up my Lamborghini from the shop, so we're not gonna be able to make it. 
for the record, the pastor does not have a Lamborghini, all right? But here's what I wanted to show you. In what seemed to be an apology, I also told Travis how busy I am. I'm busier than you. And I have a nicer car than you do, right? Was I being humble? Not really. It was just kind of a humble brag. And we can do that with our spirituality. We can do that in the way we want other people to see us and think about us, where it appears like we're being holy or we're trying to show how much we love Jesus when instead we want to make sure they know how much we love Jesus, which kind of leads to the next part. He not just talks about giving, but he also talks about prayer. Look at this, verse five of Matthew chapter six. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So why do hypocrites pray? Well, they pray for an audience. Like the reason they pray is so that others will see them. Even the very word hypocrisy, hypocrite, if you take it back, comes from a, a, a root that means an orator or an actor. So even the very word hypocrite has behind it someone who takes a stage and puts on a front so that you think they're something that they're not. Now, if that's someone in the theater in a movie who's acting, you know that, right? You know that that person is fulfilling a role. They're wanting you to think something about them even though you know it's not true. No harm, no foul. But in real life, in your spirituality, if you try to put yourself in a place where you make people think something about you that's not true, that's what's called being a hypocrite. And we can do that with our prayers where we can try to lift ourselves up, make ourselves seem holy, and Jesus says, that's, that's not what praying is all about. That's, that's hypocrisy. Can I take this maybe even one step more? You may know someone who has a tendency to say, whenever there's something that they want to communicate to you, something they want to say, they might say, well, the Lord told me. Have you ever heard that? You ever may use that? Now, look, are there times when we really do sense that God puts something in our hearts with great certainty, and it is okay to say, the Lord told me? Anybody? Is that true? Yes, should we ever? Yes or no? Yes. Are you, are, is anyone here? Okay. I thought we've already started daylight savings time. Okay. It's just, okay. Everybody just smile real quick because if you're, if you're smiling, you're not a hypocrite. How's that? Okay. That's, that's better, right? So there are times when you feel in your heart, this is from the Lord. But I've known people that every time they want something, every time they're trying to leverage something, every time they're trying, they'll say, well, the Lord told me. Well, the Lord told me this. And they play the God card and I think there's sometimes when God says, I did? I told him that? Eh, must have been busy, right? And so, so this is something, here's what Jesus says instead about our prayers. Matthew chapter six, verse six. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now look, th this isn't a prohibition against public praying. Right? We see public praying in the Old Testament. We see Jesus do it. We see Paul did it. We saw Leah do it, right? <laughs> right? This isn't a problem with public praying. Here's the problem. When your public praying is more about the public than it is the praying, then maybe we have an issue because our prayers are supposed to be to God. Hypocrites pray for an audience. Followers pray for an audience of one. If we're praying just for show, then we're missing the point. We're praying for the audience of one, and that's God. 
Which takes us to the next one when he talks about fasting. Let's jump back in. Here's what he says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. He says, when you fast, remember he's going to talk about giving, praying, fasting, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Here's what he's saying about the hypocrites. The hypocrites fast for effect. And to do it, when the hypocrites fast for effect, they get somber faces. They look really down. If you ask them, hey, would you, would you like something to eat? They go, oh, no. So I'm fasting because I'm so holy. Right? That's the idea behind it. It's just like, oh, and we like that. Right? We like to feel like we're holy. We like to feel like we're doing something. We fast for effect. That's not what Jesus said to do. He said instead, look at this, Matthew 6, verse 17, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. What, that, what does that mean? Why put oil on your head and wash your face? Because in that culture, those were signs of someone who was enjoying life. You, you were in the middle of, of a happy life. You were enjoying, you were celebrating, you were there. He says, look, when you fast, don't look miserable. Instead, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He says, look, hypocrites fast for effect, but followers fast for love. It's because of a relationship they have with God, not because they want other people to think a certain way. Did you notice all three of these, when we talked about giving, when we talked about prayer, when we talked about fasting, all three of them ended with this comment, and your father who is in secret will reward you. Did you see that? All three times. I think that's key to what we're reading about here. We'll get to that here in a moment, because some of you are going, actually, well, what's, what's fasting? Like, what is that all about? Is that, is that a diet craze, anybody? <laughs> yes, but that's, that's not the scriptural idea here. The scriptural idea, and it goes back to the Old Testament, you see it all through the New Testament, is that fasting is this idea that's common. It marks sincerity and repentance as kind of a reinforcement to prayer. It's when you say, usually it's food, but it can be other items. I've known people that have fasted a certain type of media, maybe social media, maybe television, maybe it's, it's something that means something to you. And you say, I'm willing to give this up for a season. Maybe it's a meal that you skip or a day that you don't eat or a season of time when you stay away from, from your devices or whatever it might be where you say, for this season, I'm gonna fast God, so that I can turn my attention instead to you. Fasting strengthens self-discipline. It lessens the hold of material things on us. It, it shows that we mean business with God. It, it, it breaks some power of habit and it enables us to seek God without distraction. And I, I don't mean this as a humble brag. It's just, it's just kind of a truth. Blessing follows fasting. I don't think there's ever been a time in my life when I fasted that I haven't been able to look back and go, Oh God, I, I know you more, or I see your hand at work. God does things when we pray that he does not do when we don't pray. And I've seen God do things when we fast that would not have happened if we had not. And so this is, this is key for us to, to see this. Let me break this down then in just two thoughts. Don't let the hypocrite show you how to love God. Instead, truly loving God is not about impressing others. Sometimes we think that our religion has to impress other people, and that's not what it's about. It's about relationship, not what others think of you. And truly loving God is not about feeling good. 
Because sometimes we do what we do so that we feel good about ourselves. Truly loving God is not about impressing others. Truly loving God is not about feeling good. Truly loving anyone is about the relationship you have with that person, not how you feel, not how they're impressed. It's doing the things that are right to do because you have that relationship, not just with God, but that's true in every way. Let me give you just maybe an example from home. There's, there's been moments in my life when maybe Rhonda's been at the store, she's been somewhere, and I'm, I'm home alone, and I realize that, the, let's just say the dishwasher needs emptied. And I say to myself, I think I shall empty that dishwasher. Not because it's the right thing to do, but because I want Rhonda to know I'm the kind of guy that'll empty the dishwasher, baby. <laughs> I want her to think a certain way about me, and I'll feel proud of myself because she feels that way. And then I'll make sure that when she comes home that I've left the door to the dishwasher open so that as she trips over it, she'll know what an awesome husband she has. Right? Am I doing that for the right reason? Yes or no? <laughs> no. It's the right thing to do, but I'm not doing it because it's the right thing to do. It's because I want to impress someone or I want to feel a certain way. We do that in our relationships, and the reality is we do it in our relationship with God, and that's not truly what loving him is all about. Now, let's take this one more step further because we've kind of diagnosed these hypocrites, and we've diagnosed what Jesus says is the right and the wrong ways to love him, but here's the key. In In a season and in a generation, when the hypocrites were disappointing people and were causing people to lose some faith in the God that was real, Jesus said, time out. I want, you to, I want you to make sure you don't let this affect you in a negative way. And I think he would say the same thing to us. So here's the, here's the second thing I want you to see today. Don't let the hypocrites get you down because number two, don't let the hypocrites keep you from loving God. I've known far too many people who because they've seen people live a life that didn't maybe match up with scripture but still call themselves Christians, then they push God away because of what they've seen and what they've experienced. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Here, here's, let's take it out of the sports world. There, there are some teams that I just don't like. I, it's, not, it's not because the players are bad. It's, it's not because of their geography. It's not because of their coaches. The whole reason I don't like those teams is because their fans are insufferable. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You're just like, I just don't like, the, oh, careful, brother. <laughs> I got you. I know you. And so, but you're like, I just don't like those people because of what kind of fans they are. And do you know what the worst kinds are? The worst kinds are the ones that have the gear and talk the talk, but they don't watch one game all season, right? They like, they pretend to be fans and they're insufferable. And I'm like, you know why I don't like that team? It's because of them. And that's how some people feel about the church, that they've had interaction with people and they just go, well, if they're going to be that way, that's not the way I want to be. We even do that within the church sometimes too, right? Where we, we take on a certain persona and we blame God for it when he doesn't really have anything to do with it. Sometimes we blame God for our opinions when we have nothing in the Bible to back it up. We, we use faith as an excuse for the way that we act when we're acting in a way that Jesus wouldn't approve of. And sometimes we've got to go, how, how does this really affect us, both to keep us from pushing faith away and also to keep us from being hypocrites ourselves? Here's my hope. Don't let the fakers keep you from the real thing. And that's what Jesus is trying to say here in Matthew chapter 6. He's saying to his followers, you see those hypocrites? Does it bother you? Don't let them keep you from the real thing. I, I stress this almost as, as, a, as a warning. It's like red flags. Because I just know too many people 
who have let people who have acted hypocritically keep them from a real relationship with God. Can I, can I highlight just real quick some warnings or some red flags that I've seen in this area? Things that I've seen play out in some people's lives where either they're becoming a hypocrite or they're pushing away because of hypocrites, where their faith can begin to, to be fragile and kind of fall apart. I'll just call them the AC, AB, ACDC. I almost said that. Boy, that's, that's a highway to the wrong place. The ABCDs of a faith that is falling apart. Right? You know how I sometimes have the ABCs? I'll give you one more, right? The ABCDs of a faith that is falling apart. Here's, here's the first one. The letter A, those are attitude issues. When you start to see some things in your attitude that are unhealthy, then maybe it's a good thing for you to step back and watch your faith. We won't take time to read it right now, but remember the passage in Matthew chapter 18? We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. We have the Pharisee, and then you have the tax collector. And the Pharisee says, God, I, I tithe, and God, I fast, and God, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. But it was a tax collector who said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says it's the tax collector who is more right with God than the guy who was doing all the things right on the outside. Why? Because he had this attitude where he said, I'm better than him. And if you start to see in yourself this attitude where you think somehow you're better than someone else, might be a good time for a faith checkup. That's the letter A. The letter B is what we'll just call a busy lifestyle. Sometimes the thing that keeps us from a vibrant faith is how busy we are. The Pharisees that we talked about, who Jesus will call hypocrites later in Matthew chapter 23, they had 613 rules that they had to follow. And then they had a whole bunch of rules that, that, that kind of spun off of all those other ones. They were so busy practicing the rules of their religion that it caused them to push away the God who they were supposed to be worshiping in the first place. Now, you might not have all those rules in your life, but the truth is busyness kills relationships. It can take us away from a healthy relationship because sometimes we're so busy being holy or we're so busy making money, so busy with our family, we're so busy being busy <laughs> that sometimes it causes us to misplace and push away the relationship with God that's so essential. And don't, don't, hear, don't hear this the wrong way. I'm not saying this is a matter of time because sometimes you just... Don't have the time you wish you had. Sometimes it's just busy seasons. I think it's more of a matter of awareness. It's having an awareness. It's having an openness to recognize and realize that God is with you in every moment of your life. Let's keep moving. That's the letter B. Let's go to the letter C. We'll just call this one a confused belief. The letter C is a confused belief. This is kind of a cool one right now because if you have questions about your faith, the, the word that a lot of people use is then you start to deconstruct it. You start to take it apart. You start to pick it apart. We have a kind of a subset of theology that we refer to as apologetics. You ever heard that word? Apologetics. What is that? Well, that's a study of how to defend your faith. It is important. It is vital that, that you know how to defend your faith, that you know that you trust that the Bible is accurate, that you know that, that you believe what you believe and why you believe it. But can I tell you this? I don't care how much apologetics you study. There will always be some things where you go, I don't understand that. Like, I don't get it. Like, some of that just does not make sense. Isn't that what faith is all about anyways? It's not faith unless there's a part of it where you just go, okay, I just believe <laughs> 
God, I don't understand everything. I, I don't know why you're doing everything. God, I don't get it all. I just know this. Faith, by its very definition, is believing without having all the answers. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. We don't have time to unpack it all, but I know too many people who go, well, I don't know this, or I don't understand that, or I'm not sure I can trust this, so I'm just gonna check out on God, which is really bold, because all of a sudden it just says that you're the authority and he's not. There's a passage in scripture in Psalm 131 that to be honest, I've gone back to many times over the years when things happen and I go, I don't understand it, I don't get it, I don't know why, God, this doesn't make sense. And it says this, my heart is not proud, Lord, my eyes are not haughty, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Some of us don't like to admit that there might be some things that are too wonderful for us because we think we're wonderful enough to figure it all out. And sometimes, and this is, this is the very nature of faith, sometimes I've just gotta say, God, I don't get it all, but I trust you. Which takes us to the letter D real quick. This is, this is the one that I've seen push a lot of people away. It's disillusionment where something happens and we get disillusioned. And because of that, we push our faith or we even push God away. In fact, sometimes the whole reason we're disillusioned is because we're frustrated with God. And we say, God, this isn't the way I thought my story would go. We, we wanna write our own story. We wanna create our own life. I heard author Barnabas Piper talk about this and he said, one of the things we've gotta remember when we want to craft our own story is that we're not the author. We're a character in the story. Who's the author, anybody? God is the author. And typically the character doesn't tell the author how to write the story. They live out their part and trust that the author knows what he's doing. Sometimes we get a disillusion with God, but I, I think when we talk about this passage of scripture even more, too many times we get disillusioned with other people. And and not everybody, but some of you probably have a story of where you've been hurt by a hypocrite, a friend, a pastor, a family member, a church. You've got some places in your life where you're, yeah, I got burned. <laughs> Maybe it was intentional. Maybe it was unintentional. But you've got that in your story. And sometimes makes it hard to trust other people and really hard to trust God. A lot of times when I'm standing out in, the, out in the lobby or the atrium or hallway or outside the auditorium here or something, people come up to me before a service and they have a cup of coffee and I know why they have it. it makes it a whole lot easier to stay awake, true? I know, I'm on to you, I know exactly what you're doing. And I, and, I, and I watch people, and on more than one occasion, someone has had a cup of coffee, and I'm not thinking about it, and I'll come up and I'll shake their hand. Well, I shake their hand, and it sends a tremor all the way over here to, you know, their coffee. And it starts to spill a little bit, especially if they've got it too full. I've gone up to people and just kind of patted them on the back. Hey, how are you? And one of these happens, you know, and, and they, they, they spill it or something. I'm not doing that on purpose. I didn't mean to give you a third-degree burn. It just happened on accident. I've, I've had it where I've been walking down the hall and I turn around real quick and I don't know that somebody's there and then I bump their coffee and it spills a little bit. I didn't do that on purpose, but I still burned you. 
And then there's those times when you're, you're heading to your seat and, and somebody else sees you heading that way and that's actually their seat. Do you know what I'm talking about? And you know what they do? They shove you out of the way and spill your coffee. That's intentional. And sometimes you get burned on accident and sometimes you get burned on purpose and either way, you still have the scars to prove it. I shudder to think the number of times that over the years this pastor probably unintentionally burned people, not with coffee, but with something that just happens in life with people. You've done it, we've all done it, it's been in those places, and the problem is, if we're not careful, the enemy will let all those little spills and all those little bumps and all those little burns keep us from the blessing that God has in us being together and in knowing him. And that disillusionment has to be dealt with along the way because if we don't, it will keep us from what God wants to do. One other uh, quick thought before we jump to number three. I went back to the restaurant. I went back to the restaurant. There was, there was one day not all that long ago, I was getting ready for bed, and Rhonda said, well, you, got, you got anything going on tomorrow? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm having lunch with a friend. Oh, she says, where, where are you going for lunch? I was hoping she wouldn't ask. And I said, oh, we're, we're going to... <laughs> She says, where? Oh, we're going to... <laughs> she said, you're going back there? And I said, I didn't pick it. He likes the place, and there's a certain thing he really likes there, and he says he wanted to treat me, so I'm going back. <laughs> I said, I'll never go back there. But I will for a friend when he's paying. There are people in your world who have said, I will never go back there. They might for you. If they see the love of Jesus coming out of your life, if they see that you're living a life that looks like Jesus, they might go back, not because they want to, but because you invited them to an Easter service, or you encouraged them to check out church online, or you sat and shared with them the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Look at what the Bible says, James chapter five. Look at this, James chapter five, verse 19. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. There's probably somebody in your world who says, I'll never go back. But they might for their friend, and that friend might be you. So would you pray how God might want to use you to help someone come back to a place of vibrant faith? Because that's what this whole story is all about. I, I led with the idea of hypocrites, but I don't think that's what this passage is about. I don't think Jesus is saying all this just because he wants to call out the hypocrites. He is. He'll do it more as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. But I think the reason he's calling out the hypocrites is because he wants you to know that that's not real faith. And that's not real life. And what Jesus wants to stress here is this, the third thing. Don't let the hypocrites keep you from your reward. Don't let the hypocrites, number three, keep you from your reward. Don't let them keep you from what Jesus wants to do in your life. Don't let them keep you 
from his blessing. Did you notice every one of those things? Jesus talks about giving and he says, and your father who is in secret will reward you. And he talks about prayer and he says, and your father who is in secret will reward you. And then he talks about fasting and he says, and your father who is in secret will reward you. Why is this? Because God wants a secret life with you. He wants a life outside of church. He wants a life outside of what other people see. He wants this moment that's just you and him where you're sharing a relationship where when you give, you give not because of everybody else but just because of him. How when you fast, you do it because you love him. How when you pray, you're hanging on every word because you pray not just so you can get your list out there but you expect that you'll experience something from him that the Holy Spirit will help you, that you'll hear God's leading. So many times we get frustrated in prayer because we have very low expectations. But Jesus says, when you come and you and I have a one-on-one conversation, I will meet you there and I will reward you. And being in right relationship with him, seeing the world through his lens, that's its own reward. I told a story a couple weeks ago about the the 42,000 porcelain balloon animal dogs. Anybody remember that? Hey, here's another weird story from the art world. There was a modern art show in San Francisco. A couple of teenage kids were there, and they just walked through, and they saw all the modern art, and they said to us, this doesn't look like art. I don't know why this is art. And they said, let's try something. So they started placing random objects in random places to see if people would just look at them. And the one dude took his glasses off and just set him on the floor and stepped back and watched for a few moments until a group of people came over and said, oh, oh. He said, people were, people were starting to come over and he said, the typical posture was people would like rub their chin and go, hmm, oh. Some people were even going, I shall take a picture of that. And they're, and they're capturing this thing. And these two teenage kids are just over there cracking up because it's the dude's glasses, and all these people are like, oh, looking at it. Finally, somebody got smart to him, went to go tell the like, museum officials, and so they, they went over, took their glasses on, and just kind of scrambled away. But it caused this big stir on, on social media and all these things. Because these guys took something that was never intended to just be looked at, <laughs> People were just standing there just kind of looking at it and surveying it and criticizing it and and analyzing it. It was never supposed to be looked at. It was supposed to be a way that you would look through in what you would see. And this is what we do with faith far too many times is we step back and we're critical of other people or we're, we're, we're disillusioned in our own experience or we're confused with what we don't understand or we're upset about something here. We don't understand that or that hypocrite here or this happened to me there. And Jesus says, that's never what it was supposed to be. You're not just supposed to look at it. You're supposed to look through it because I want a relationship with you, he says, in the secret place. I want you to see life the way I see it. Jesus wants to know you in the secret place. He wants a secret life with you. Here's my question for you. What do you do in secret? Like if right now we asked you what your secret life was like, when you're by yourself, what's it like? Is that when you hit the snack drawer in your desk? Can I get an amen? (laughs) Is that when you worry? Is that when lust gets the best of you? Is that when you fill your mind with unhealthy things? Is that when envy starts to spin out of control? Is that when your spending issues show up? 
Is that when you, you know you shouldn't just sit there, but you still just sit there? Is that when behind those closed doors, when you're unkind to your family? It's not what everybody else sees, but that's, that's what happens in those places. What, what happens behind those closed doors? What happens when you're in secret? And what if you invited Jesus to be a part of your secret life? What if in those parts that nobody else knows about, that's where you chose to bring him in? That you would choose to make Jesus a part of that? That every conversation you had with him, you would expect that you'd encounter him, that your giving would glorify him, that your fasting would show love to him, that your prayer would connect with him, that you would expect that. Again, I'm not talking about you have to spend hours a day. I'm just talking that you go in with an expectation and say, God, I invite you into every part of my life especially the secret place, especially the part that nobody else knows about, would you be willing to invite him there? I know that that's what he wants for you so that the next time you give, you give your best out of worship. And the next time you pray, you expect that you're gonna have an intimate conversation with God, not checking off a list, but believing that through his word, by his spirit, he's gonna speak to your heart. That the next time you fast, isn't this interesting, all three of those passages, did Jesus say, if you give prayer fast? Did he say if? No, what did he say? It's when. He expects that we will. And I'd ask myself, when was, when was the last time I fasted? When was the last time you fasted? When was the last time that I set some time aside to say, God, you are the most important thing in my life? That the next time you fast, you choose to love Jesus the most. You choose to make him the very center of your life. Don't let the hypocrites distract you. Don't let the other things you want to stare at keep you. Instead, would you just put yourself in every area of your life in a place to say, Jesus, I invite you here, that you give it all to him, and that you expect that he'll meet you there and he'll reward you there. A relationship with God is its own reward. That you'll look back a month from now and go, I, I know Jesus better because he's in every part of my life, even in the secret place. I think maybe I've told this story before, but it just seemed like it really fit here. And anyways, you're up here talking long enough, you're bound to repeat yourself. Isn't that true? I mean, I've just told myself that. If I'm up here long enough, I'm probably just going to repeat myself. And so that's just how it goes. So I'll tell it again, because you're up here long enough, you're probably going to repeat yourself. So I can remember being, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old, down in Brett Lawrence's basement, and the doors were closed, and he and I were down there, and we were huddled in front of his parents' stereo, listening to Youngstown, Ohio, Hot FM 101. Hot FM 101. For the record, 10-year-old boys from Warren First Assembly of God Church did not want, their moms did not want them listening to Hot FM 101, but we were. And that's why the volume was on one. Because <laughs> Brett's mom could not know. And for heaven's sake, Vera Gilligan could not know. But we were waiting. Back in the early 80s, if you wanted a song, you had to, you had to go to the store and buy it. You had to get the cassette tape, or you had to get the record, or you had to hear it on the radio. And we sat there hovering. And Brett's folks had a had a had a like a stereo system that had a radio on it, also had a tape deck. And he sat there 
And every time a new song was about to start, his little fingers just hovered over the record button. Because when they played that song, we were not gonna miss it. He says, dude, there's this new song. You gotta hear it. We gotta have it. I said, Brett, what is it called? And he said, it's called Eye of the Tiger. I love that song. And we just sat, Rocky Three had just come out, you know, and we're just sitting there, just waiting for dun, 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 right? Some of you, your heart just beat out of your chest. Just waiting there, listening to every word, waiting every moment, because we knew when it, when it was there, that would be our reward. What if you approached your relationship with God like that? Nobody else needs to know about it. It's just you and him. And you just say, God, I need everything that you have for me. God, I want you more than anything else. I don't want a fake version. I don't care what anybody else thinks. God, I want you. Nothing else is going to do. And you wait in that secret moment. And you believe that just that relationship with him is its own reward. You don't get the eye of the tiger. (laughs) You get the love of Jesus in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you just wait for that and know that he's gonna find you there. Can I ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? We're gonna, we're gonna stand in just a minute. We're gonna worship the Lord together because I don't think there's anything better that we can do today. But some of you have been hurt by hypocrites. right now, would you just ask God to bring some healing? That your faith won't be just something you, you look back at, but that you put it on and you look through it. And for some of you, that may be easier said than done. That there's a healing process that you need to walk through. But would you just say, God, I don't want to hold on to this anymore. I need you. In fact, for, for some of you, You've never had a relationship with Jesus or it's been a long time since you've been right with him. And there's no better time than this moment, than right now, to say, Jesus, more than anything else, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your purpose and meaning in my life. So Lord, I no longer live for myself. Jesus, I give you my life and I live for you. Jesus, the whole point of what you said here in these chapters is not that we would do things a certain way, but that we would know you with everything that we have. That we would expect you'd meet us in that secret place. That we would know your grace and your reward in our lives. And so Lord, today we just say nothing else will do We just want you. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with us? We sing this together.
That's our, that's our heart. Lord, in a, in a world where it would be so easy to get distracted by everything that's not right and even hypocritical, instead, Lord, may we just want you, that you'd be the focus of our hearts, the focus of our lives, the focus of not just our giving and praying, our fasting, but of every day, this, this secret life with you that fuels us. God, where we know you, we, we long for you and that you lead every area of our lives. Father, would you help us to live out on our faith in a, in, in a way that glorifies you, that lets others see who you are and Lord, helps us to know you better. Or would you help us to do that with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. If you'd like someone to pray with you, we've got some friends. We'll be down here at the end of the service. We'd love that opportunity. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.